This is Tina Douglas, and you're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast with your host, my husband, Liam Douglas. Enjoy! Greetings, everybody. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 223. So as I've talked about before on my show, the lar- a large share of my audience are photography students, those that are attending photography programs at universities or technical colleges, or that are still in high school and taking photography classes there. And I've had so many students reach out to me and say, hey, you've talked about Canon cameras. You've talked a bit about GFX from Fujifilm. What about some of the other brands out there? Panasonic, Olympus, Pentax, Sony, Nikon. And I've been trying to get people that are experts, what I would call experts in those cameras to come on the show and talk about them. And what I mean by expert is somebody that's been using those cameras for a considerable amount of time. They don't have to be a working pro. They can be a high level hobbyist or amateur, and that's perfectly fine. Well, today I have a special treat for you. Levi Sim has been kind enough to come back on the show. And today we're going to be talking about Panasonic cameras. And why he chose Panasonic, what he likes about Panasonic. And for those of you that don't realize, this is something else we're going to touch on today. There are actually four major sensor types in cameras on the market today. And we're going to touch on a new one that we haven't talked about before on the show, which is called Micro Four Thirds. So without any delay, let's bring Levi on with us and let's talk about Panasonic. Levi, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming back. Hey, thanks for having me on again. Absolutely. Your your episode was extremely popular, the last one we did together, and I felt bad pestering you to come back on again so soon, but you're the only photographer I know currently that's shooting Panasonic. <laughs> uh, and I'm not saying that as a negative thing to Panasonic. It's just I don't know enough photographers. Most of the photographers I know are either shooting Canon or Nikon. I know a handful of people shooting Sony and a couple that are shooting Pentax. And it's been like pulling teeth trying to get these people on the show to talk about You know about people shooting Pentax, but not people shooting Lumix? <laughs> I know. Can you believe? Well, I know I tried to get Tony Northrup to come on my show, but I'm not big enough and famous enough for him to come on my show because, you know, I know he shot a lot of Lumix gear. And uh, both uh, Panasonic's full frame and their micro four thirds stuff. And... Uh, he never replies when I ask him to come on the show. He just blows me off. He'll answer my other emails, but he never answers that one. And Fro does the same thing to me from Frono's photo. All right. All so right. let's start off once again. Give my listeners a little bit of your background in photography, how you got started, and then we'll get into talking about Panasonic. Sure. Um, I started making pictures. What is it, 2022? Anyway, I started in 2009, whenever that was, a while ago. Uh, like, you know, I loved it in high school, but then 12 years later in in 2009, I started getting serious about it again. And I, I became a full-time photographer in 2010. And, um, I've been a full-time photographer for my full living, taking care of my family for more than 10 years now. And, uh, I love it. And now I'm the staff photographer at Utah state university in Logan, Utah. I live in Idaho, in Southeast Idaho, and 
I love it. I love to make all kinds of photographs. I love to photograph landscapes and animals and, but especially people, um, people are really the most important thing we photograph and, um, any, any picture you make of a person immediately has value. So I enjoy that. And I enjoy interacting with people. I also, I also love to teach. Um, I love to help others make better pictures as well. Um, and I started as a, as a Nikon shooter, I've used a lot of Canon tools. I've used a few Fuji tools, uh, which I like. I've used Sony a handful of times, which I generally don't like <laughs> using. I got nothing against their cameras. If you're a Sony user, that's great. Uh, there's a couple of things they don't do that I need to do. And, um, and so coming from Nikon, I've been using Panasonic since 2013. Um, and I continue to use them full time at the university. So, exactly. And uh, your last episode on portrait photography and how to get you know the great lighting without having to spend a ton of money was hugely popular. Like I said, oh, good. a lot of my audience is students, and they absolutely love that because as a student, you know, that's one of their biggest concerns. Man, where am I going to come up with the money for all this photography gear? <laughs> so oh, yeah. they loved your episode on creative ways to get soft, perfect lighting for portraits without having to spend a ton of money. They loved it. Oh, good. Well, I've got some I've got some ideas for him in this one then. <laughs> awesome. Okay, so let's get into it. Now you're shooting currently with a Panasonic G9 for your personal. Stuff, yeah, that's right? my personal camera. And, and at school I use Lumic. Yeah, so so we should be we should clarify a little bit. Panasonic is a ginormous company. I wouldn't be surprised if they make cars somewhere <laughs> in the world. Um, but their their camera brand for interchangeable lens cameras is called Lumix. And so I'll, I'll keep saying Lumix. Oh, that's uh, no problem. So like, yeah, Lumix G9. And if you, if you search, you could search either one, you could search a Panasonic G9 or, but you'll see a Lumix pop up. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, Lumix is the, is the, the brand for the cameras we're talking about. So G9 is my personal. And then S1 is what I use uh, daily at the university. We also use S5s and GH5s for video. Excellent. Okay, so now for my listeners that don't know, and I've, I've touched on it a little bit with some of the other companies, Lumix or Panasonic under the Lumix brand, they make two different lines of camera systems. And most companies do this. They make one sensor type and then they'll offer a second sensor type. In the world of Canon, it's APS-C or crop body and full frame. In Fuji, they have APS-C, which is their X-Series, and then medium format, which is their GFX. And Lumix does the exact same thing. They have full frame, but instead of doing APS-C, and this is something that Lumix is so good at, they do what's called micro four-thirds. So can you touch a little bit on what that is for my audience? Yeah, and, and, and in fact we were all kind of disappointed when they came out with full frame cameras. Yeah. <laughs> I know a lot so of Panasonic people said that. Right. Mic micro four thirds is referring to the size of the sensor and also the, um, the mount for the lenses. And they, we've used micro four thirds size since maybe 2007, nine, something like this. And, uh, and I've been using it since, like I said, 2013, um, I've owned five or six micro four thirds, uh, bodies. I've also used Olympus bodies. And so, um, so it's a sensor size micro four thirds. It's, 
one quart, one half the area of full frame of a full frame sensor. Okay, whereas, so it's half. Whereas your Canon, yeah, your Canon APS-C is is a one point six times multiplier. If you if you're using the the Nikon APS-C, it's a one and a half times multiplier to get to the the magical full frame number of whatever your lens is supposed to equal. Yeah. Um, and so it's much better on micro four thirds because it's two times. So if you have a 25 millimeter lens on your micro four thirds, you use, you've got a similar field of view as a 50 millimeter lens on your full frame camera. Exactly. That's not important, right? Yeah, like, exactly. Use, well, and use what, the lens you're using and love the lens you've got. Don't exactly. worry about what it what it equals on somebody else's camera. Exactly. It's somebody else's camera. And for the <laughs> students that don't know, when we say full frame, all that means is it's the same size sensor that was originally used in a 35 millimeter film camera from the right. film days. That's all. And and when we when we look at a 35 millimeter piece of film, or an APS-C sized piece of film, or a or a micro four thirds sized film or sensor they're they're minuscule differences now when you add on to a, a gfx uh, uh, a medium format there's a significant difference yeah, and, and even that is a that that's actually a cropped medium format exactly as well. you know like my my film bodies are six by seven millimeters yep. not 44 by 33 millimeters exactly so, yeah there's there's not uh, a big difference from full frame down to micro four thirds it's just not that huge of a difference exactly. um, and everybody like if you have a full frame camera right now you're 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 aching to phone me up and tell me i'm wrong because you bought into the full frame myth <laughs> <laughs> well as i've said thousands of times on this show it does not matter what camera you buy into they all make amazing images they all yeah. make good video every camera there's every camera manufacturer has certain strengths and certain areas where their technology is a little bit weaker than somebody else. But the important thing with Panasonic is they are probably one of the masters, I would say, of video technology because they've been doing it for an extremely long time. Yeah, so for sure. So let's start with um, why did you choose Micro Four Thirds? Just uh, and. Again, to let my audience know, I'm not going to beat Levi up about this because, again, I don't care what brand you shoot. I just like to have the people that are shooting something other than I am share with my audience their reason yeah. for going with that pro that system. There's there's three good reasons, maybe four. There's a lot of good reasons. Um, one is the cost. Everything is cheaper. Everything is less expensive. And then related to that is the quality you you buy a um, like my my Olympus 75 millimeter f1.8 lens okay so it's 75 millimeters that's equivalent on a full frame lens to uh, or on a full frame camera to to 150 millimeters so it's it's quite a nice telephoto but it's at 1.8 so it's very bright and it's it's the size of like one of those mini cans of sprite. <laughs> <laughs> One of those tiny soda cans. It's yeah. this big, and it gives me a 150 millimeter field of view, and that is incredible. Comparing it to a 150 millimeter lens, which no nobody buys a 150 millimeter lens. I've got a 135 millimeter on my S1 over here behind me, uh, and it's enormous, and and it's always enormous. And so the Micro Four Thirds stuff is just smaller and lighter, and it's a one eight. You can't you can't get a hundred and fifty millimeter one eight. You've got your seventy to two hundred two eight. 
Yeah, exactly. And not only is it big and expensive, but it's less bright. And it doesn't have the the quality of, of bouquet in it either that, that these do. And so exactly. the quality of lenses available at the price, there's nothing comparable. And and 150 millimeter 1.8 on a full frame camera, that lens would probably cost $5,000 and weigh seven pounds. Well, so like Sigma makes a, makes a 185, uh, but I think it's a, I think it's a two eight. It could be a two. Um, and it's, it's similarly sized to a 70 to 200, you know? So yep. it's, it's enormous. And like you're, you're sitting here holding your full frame camera and I came from full frame Nikon cameras. I, I loved my full frame cameras. I still love full frame cameras, but anytime I'm using it, holding it in my hands, these small cameras are such a relief and your body is less tired like holding a, holding a 72, 200 up to photograph an event, a wedding, um, a corporate event, it is heavy and your shoulders are sore and your wrists get sore. I had a ganglion cyst on, on my wrist Ouch. that went away when I started using micro four thirds cameras, just because I wasn't carrying, um, heavy things in an unnatural way. So there's, wow, there's those crazy. things. And then the cost, like, uh, they're half to two thirds. What a, what a full frame system is for similar things and more features. Like you said, the excellent video stuff is built into all of them and they've had excellent video things since 2010, not, you know, much later with, with many of these other cameras and, uh, and, and even earlier, not, not just 2010, they were, they were cranking out better video than most. Well, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't Panasonic one of the first companies to actually go mirrorless before everybody else? Yeah, they've only ever yeah they were they were the first mirrorless uh, manufacturer, and they've only done mirrorless. And I mean that's that's what video cameras have always been is a is a mirrorless camera. Yeah, exactly. Right? Uh, I mean, all the television you've ever watched was filmed on a on a Panasonic camera. So um, they're they're very experienced in some of those things. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, and then also coming from Nikon, the menus are great. Like it's, it's a good camera to use and hold and like, it feels good in your hand. The batteries are very long lasting, which is a big knock on, on several brands. <laughs> um, and, uh, and again, the, the cost is just significantly less than many others. Like right now I just saw on B and H you can get an S one or no, excuse me, an S five, which is a full frame, their new full frame version with an 85 millimeter 1.8 for under two grand. Holy cow. That's crazy. It's, and it's, it's a full functional like that. That's what our video team uses for all their video stuff. And it's a stills camera as well. Like it's an excellent all around camera. Wow. Now correct me if I'm wrong, but if I understand things correctly, another big advantage of micro four thirds is they are stellar in low light performance. Um, they're, they're very good. A full frame camera does better. Oh, like really? A, of the, oh, yeah. yeah. I thought sure. Micro Four Thirds was better because of the sensor being small and the fact that you can get much wider aperture lenses and longer comparable focal lengths. So, so yes, at, I, I, should, I should rephrase. I can shoot, yeah, because my lenses are all, like, 2.8 is my slowest lens, whereas on full frame, we're, we're generally thrilled to get a 2.8 lens, right? Yeah, exactly. And so my slowest lens is 2.8. I'm shooting f9.95. Uh, 1.2, 1.7, 1.4. Um, yeah, 
I don't think I have anything above two until I get to a, um, my least expensive, excellent lens. That's a two eight. Um, wow. and so, so they're brighter. So I'm using a lower ISO. Oh yeah. All the like time. Already. All yeah. the time. Yeah. Now you're saying, well, I don't want F one, two, actually most of your students are going, Oh, I love F one, two. I love that shallow depth of field, but, but we don't always want that shallow depth of field because we're losing our subject. You know, it's, it's too shallow. Exactly. Um, but because we are using a, like it's, it's physically a wider lens. My 75 millimeter is not 150 millimeters. It gives me a field of view of 150 millimeters, but I'm, I'm standing, um, like I'm, I'm my, my physical distance to things is different. It's at 75 millimeters exactly, and, and it's also projecting onto a different size sensor and all these things affect the depth of field, but basically I'm getting two stops uh, deeper depth of field Oh wow! with my lens as well. And so even though I'm shooting at F1.2, I'm getting depth of field like uh, two, like 2.2, something like this. Um, and so that's also good because I can shoot in darker light with more depth of field at the same ISO as I could on a full frame sensor. Now, when we start cranking up the ISO, it is not as good as a full frame sensor of the same megapixel um, because we're cramming in more megapixels or the same number, say it's 24. So we've got 24 megapixels on each. We're cramming more onto a smaller sensor, which, which means they're smaller and they're, they're gathering less light each. And so they're, they're not as good at ultra low light as the full frame sensor. However, it's very good. I deliver pictures shot at 6,400 ISO all the time. And um, like if, and those are, those are pictures like at events, like I'm, I'm standing in a dark room photographing a speaker at a podium Wow. and, uh, well, I, actually even those aren't at 6,400 cause they have a spotlight on them. So, um, but I, I deliver pictures like that all the time for marketing use. And if, if I need more, like if I'm shooting in the dark, mm-hmm. why don't I just add some light? Yeah, exactly. If you can, like if I'm trying if to make a, a situation pretty picture, where you can, that's good. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, like if I'm making a portrait or something, I'm going to add light. Like, what does it matter if my high ISO is, is terrible? Exactly. All of these cameras look great at, at 3,200 and below. And yeah. so, so the biggest, uh, the biggest difference with micro four thirds is you can't crank up your ISO as high as full frame before you start introducing noise, basically. Yeah. But right. you have the but advantage also, because like you said, your slowest lens is a two eight. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I'm still at, at 1600 when somebody else is at 6,400. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, uh, and the, but the color fidelity, even at high ISO is remarkable. Like that's, that's the bigger problem to me is not noise. Like if somebody sees noise in my picture, mm-hmm. there's something else wrong with my picture. <laughs> <laughs> like if, if, if you're so underwhelmed by the subject of my photograph that you're like, well, that's kind of noisy. <laughs> but I, and you didn't I need get a very to fix good some picture. other stuff. Yeah, there's there's some other stuff I need to fix before I even worry about the the noise in my picture. Exactly. Uh, now, for my students that don't realize it, in order to have, it's not even possible in full frame to have an entire catalog of lenses that are no slower than two point eight. It's totally impossible. Right. Um, right. Even if you had an unlimited budget, and let's say you were shooting Canon or Nikon, the best you could do would be. F five, six or F four 
and wider. Mm -hmm. Because when you get into the bigger telephoto lenses that those manufacturers make, they only offer them like an F4, F5.6, F6.3. And then you're talking a $20,000 lens that weighs like 12 or 13 pounds. Right. Like Olympus makes a, uh, a 150 to 300, 28, I think is what it is. Oh, wow. And it's uh, well under two grand. Holy and it's God. phenomenal. That's they make crazy. a 300 F4. So that's a 600 millimeter field of view yep. at F4. Can you Ooh. get a 600 F4? Uh, you can from Canon, but it'll cost you about 20 grand. <laughs> yeah. This thing again is under two and, so. and, and, and it goes in a suitcase. <laughs> right. Exactly. Whereas this is, this is the size of a 70 to 200 and it weighs less than a 70 to 200. So. Wow. That's insane. Wow. It, now, I mean, it's got all kinds of benefits and the, the thing is you're, you're going to, if you, if your students went and bought a G9, which is what I shoot with right now, they're coming out with a GH6 shortly. Um, they would take it to class and someone would say, well, yeah, it's a great video camera, but it's not a full frame digital camera. Stop comparing cameras and start comparing pictures. Exactly. This is, this is what matters. Like we love to compare cameras. I love to compare cameras. I love gear. I love numbers and specs. I love that stuff. I love knowing about it, but in the end, it doesn't make my pictures better. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. But it does make my wallet bigger. Yeah, exactly. Your wallet takes less of a hit when, yeah. when Lumix comes out with a new camera. Whatever you do, don't take out a loan to buy camera equipment. It's going to be obsolete well before your loan is due. Exactly. <laughs> well, and for the students that don't realize it, the camera that Levi is using for his personal photography every day, the Lumix G9, costs a thousand dollars brand spanking new at bnh photo it's 997 dollars right. actually if you pay full price yeah and yeah. you can get it with gear and and as students you get discounts and buy it used man buy used bodies exactly buy used lenses yeah i mean if you go out you go online or go to somebody like keh you could probably get a g9 a used one for probably what maybe five six hundred dollars yeah, buy it, buy it on, on uh, Craigslist or whatever your local classifieds is and go try it out first and see that it works and then take it home. Like Now, let's touch on the you other... You don't need to buy new things. That exactly. That is where you're going to exactly. lose your money. Yep, and that's the way I started out. When I was a student, we got a Canon T3i because that was the deal our college had with B&H. Mm -hmm. And I bought the majority of my lenses, believe it or not, I bought at all the pawn shops around Atlanta. Because, yep. and, I, and I talked about this in one of my episodes, how to get good glass cheap. Yeah. You would be surprised how many pawn shops out there have no clue when it comes to photography right. gear. They'll take right. it in on pawn. They'll look, what they do is they look on eBay to see what it sells for on eBay. And then they'll give you about half that if they're going to buy it from you. But that, the problem is, say, well, I'll give you this much. <laughs> yeah. And the problem is because they're not photography experts, they will make bad buys. I mean, I can't begin to count the number of oh, yeah. times I've gone into pawn shops and they had old Canon FD lenses out the wazoo that they couldn't get rid of because Canon switched right. to the, you know, to the newer EF and now the RF mount. And uh, I would go into those pawn shops and I'd buy those lenses up for like three bucks a piece and put an adapter on them and use them. Oh, nice. Yeah, nice. because some of them were really high-end lenses that just had an obsolete bayonet on them. Yeah, we've got a great classifieds uh, website over here, like Craigslist. So go on Craigslist, find a lens you like. I've I've done this 
dozens of times. And I go and I try out the lens on my camera. I meet somebody at, in the parking lot at Home Depot and try out the lens and I pay them for it. And I pay them $600 for a, you know, a lens that new costs 1200 bucks. Exactly. And then in six months, I'm, I'm not using it anymore. I don't, I find out that that's not my style for that lens. And so I sell it for 800 bucks or 600 bucks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a free rental program. Yeah, basically. <laughs> the lens has already de depreciated as much as it's going to. Yep. And so when I turn around to sell it, I, I'm not losing the, the depreciation. Just like don't buy a new car and don't buy new camera stuff. <laughs> exactly. Buy used. Yeah. It was yeah. a funny story. I actually went into, uh, they're now Cash America in the Atlanta area, they got bought out by Cash America. But I went into a store in Gwinnett County, it was like five or six miles from my house one time when I was shooting Canon DSLR gear. And I found the original Sigma 12 to 24 F4 lens. It was the first version that they came out with. I bought that lens in the pawn shop with the original box, caps, everything, $300. Oh, I shot with that lens for about six months and the funny thing was, it was made to be a full-frame lens, but if you actually used it on a full-frame Canon, you'd get bad uh, barrel vignetting. In other words, the sensor could see the barrel. If you shot on APS-C, you were fine. But I used that lens for six months, and I kid you not, I put it on Amazon, and I sold it for $1,300. Yeah. <laughs> like $200 less than it went for brand new, and that was after I used it for six months and bought it for only $300. So I made and, like and I made like a nine hundred dollar ten thousand dollar profit off that lens. That's awesome. That was crazy. And Micro Four Thirds is is just the same way, except the entry is lower. Yeah, like, exactly. Um, you're, you're buying a two thousand dollar lens that actually only costs a thousand dollars to begin with, and now you're getting it used for four hundred bucks. So exactly. And, and now, after, well, Levi and I were talking before we started recording, and I picked up a Black Magic four K cinema camera, and they take the Micro Four Thirds lenses. And so, I was do the, uh, so do the the uh, the Zenmuse cameras on the Inspire drones. Like, oh, yeah, exactly. It's awesome. And yeah. uh, when I was getting my cinema camera, I was like, I wonder what's going to be the best, you know, fixed lens to use on this for my YouTube videos. And so I did some Google search and everybody was like, get the Lumix. I think it was 23 millimeter. It's an F1.8. And I went on Amazon and bought that lens brand new for less than 100 bucks. I honestly think it was like 50 or 60 bucks and it was brand new. And I was like, man, that's crazy inexpensive. Yeah. Especially for a 1.8. <laughs> and and another great thing is that you're not dealing with just Lumix as a manufacturer. You're dealing with Olympus as a manufacturer and Tamron and a couple other companies that, that make lenses for micro four thirds. Exactly. And they're phenomenal. It's as if you could put a Nikon lens on your Canon body. Yep. And it's great. <laughs> exactly. That was the other point I wanted to touch on with you is the fact that if uh, if one of my students decides to go micro four thirds, you have multiple sources to get inexpensive lenses. Like Levi said, you got Lumix, you got uh, Olympus, you've got Tamron, you got Sigma. Uh, I believe Samyang does some micro four third lens and mounts as well. Yep. Most every company does. Now, just to let my students know. If you're not sure, go to the lens manufacturer's website, look and see if it mentions that they offered an MFT. That means micro four thirds for those of you that don't know, because I've had a lot of right. students ask me, what the heck is MFT? <clears throat> right. And it's only because they usually don't write it out on the lens manufacturer's site. So they just abbreviate it. Yeah. Um, so anyway. Also so with 
Wait, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say also with flashes and things, um, they're also compatible. So Olympus and, and Lumix use the same hot shoe and uh, TTL communication. And so if you're buying a trigger, you'll, if you've got an Olympus camera, you might buy the one for Panasonic or you, you might buy the one for Olympus if you've got a Panasonic. And so it's the same. Um, it doesn't matter that way either. Yeah, see that, and that's interesting because I often wonder if the proprietary with hot shoes is more BS than it is reality. And the reason why I say that is I've shot Canon for years, both Canon and Fuji. I uh, currently have two Godox V860s Mark II. They had the C, which means they were made for Canon. But if I put them on my GF GFX 50R, they still fire just like they do on my Canon. But they won't do high speed sync. Ah, okay. So that's the so difference. That's okay. Because yeah. I was like, wait a minute, if they're proprietary, then why the heck are these working yeah. on my Fuji camera? Yeah. And they won't do TTL. Ah, TTL. okay. All right. So um, I guess that makes a little more sense now. And I think I think we got oversold on TTL anyway. I haven't used it in probably nine years. Yeah, I know quite a few photographers that say they don't rely on TTL at all. Right. Right. Yeah. Um now, well, so while we're talking about flash too, Panasonic. Lumix cameras, they do second curtain sync with any flash ever made. Oh, cool. Canon cameras do not. Yeah. Sony cameras do not. Uh, and there's a lot of fun to be had using second curtain, rear curtain sync with your flashes. Um, if you if you get a second log on to LinkedIn Learning and search, well, search for my name and you'll see in my 10 portraits class on there, a whole class about doing second uh, second curtain portraits with with really cool effects and it's a lot of fun oh cool uh, or on my on my instagram there's a lot of those pictures too and it's it's just a, such a fun way to make an interesting picture and lumix does it nikon does it I, i'm pretty certain fuji does it i am certain canon and sony don't do it unless you use their flashes and so it's very um, aggravating. I'm not 100% certain. I think on Canon, I think my Godoxes will do it. 7%. They won't. Yeah. Oh, really? It won't. Yeah. Ah, okay. Sure. So I, I thought it would. But the other <laughs> this interesting is, this is the reason. Well, I the other interesting Lumix. thing is, is I don't think Canon's had second curtain sync for a long time on their cameras either. It's kind of they a new thing away. with them. Yeah. They took it away, which is dumb. Like their film cameras had it. I mean, it's been a thing for 100 years. <laughs> So anyway, it, it's one of the significant reasons why I use Lumix cameras and not Sony cameras. Like wow. besides being bad menus and bad ergonomics. <laughs> well, yeah. And see, that's the big thing. Like Levi said earlier, we don't want people to think that we're bashing Sony. But right. one of Sony's biggest problems for a long time, and I've talked about it on the show before, is their menu system was absolutely right. horrible. And yeah. I mean, I know people that have been shooting only Sony their entire lives, and they tell me, oh, my God, the menu is terrible. And I've been using right. it for five years. It's still terrible. Yeah. Now, they did recently make it better. I haven't seen it myself, but I've heard uh, the A7S three and the A1 have their new menu system. And from what I've heard, they revamped it so drastically, and it is so much better, easier, and intuitive to use. More like Canon and Panasonic and Nikon and Fuji have had forever. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I shot for a couple of years with a Sony uh, Next 6, one of their APS-C mirrorless cameras. Right. Oh, no, my God, I hated their menu. It was just horrible. Yeah. It was absolutely yeah. terrible to try to find anything in it. Yeah. Yeah. And 
yeah. And, and so this is the thing. I'm not, I'm not comparing cameras. I'm comparing pictures. And I can't make this kind of picture with a Sony camera. Exactly. I can't make a second curtain flash using my off-camera flashes. You could probably do it with their, with their speed light mounted on, with, with Canon speed light mounted on, or with Canon speed light controlling another Canon speed light, you could do second curtain. Yeah, and I you think... can't do it. I think you can yeah. with their I think you can with their ST2 as well which is their proprietary right, yeah, transmitter. Controller. Right. Yeah. Uh yes. Yeah, the newer one you can. Yeah, uh, I think the ST2 the, Mark the II can does. do it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. But see there you have um, it. Not with not with any other studio flash or or Godox flash or or whatever else that I don't want to spend $4,000 to get a speed light for. So. But with the Panasonic you can do second curtain flash using anybody's speed light. Anybody's speed light. Yeah. That is and, so and just, cool. You can using a like I, I did it today using a pc cord or using just center pen only it can do it with the with the 20 dollars cowboy studios wow so, that's amazing yeah, yeah I didn't it's good nikon does that too and i didn't I'm realize sure they had Fuji that feature well. yeah that is so cool it's so uh so let's get a little bit more into panasonic um you covered a lot of why you went into or started using them, the size, the cost. Those are huge factors, especially for students and having a much wider range of lenses that you can choose from. Um, and, and having all of the lenses in such a small thing, like having all of your gear in a tiny bag. Exactly. It, it's it like, I mean, it's, you it's can you could probably carry all your lenses in something a little bit bigger than a fanny pack. Right. It, you absolutely can. And so it takes up less space when you travel, when you carry it to school, when you carry it on shoots, it, it's, it just continues to be awesome to have small stuff. Yeah, exactly. And I don't know him personally, and I haven't talked to him personally, but I know there's a lot of travel photographers out there. That's all they use is either Panasonic or Olympus, or if they don't go with Panasonic or Olympus, they're really big. A lot of them are really big into the Fuji X100 series. And that, to me, is what I would call a point-and-shoot camera because it has a lens you can't remove, but it is still part of the Fuji X-Trans system. So it is technically well, an, an X-Series kiss. Uh, yeah. It is an X-Series camera. It's just not an ILC. Right. But yeah. it's, yeah, it's got the, the APS-C-sized sensor, so. Yep. But I very, mean. Very capable. Like Levi was saying, I mean, you can fit every lens you have in a single tiny bag, <laughs> which means, guess what? You can put it in the overhead compartment on the plane. Yeah, exactly. Or or under your seat and still have room for your feet. Oh, yeah. That's crazy. Now, um, so why, just out of curiosity, with the two different types, why does the university go with their with their full frame version? Um. Because we use also Canon lenses. And so within our department, we've got video and photo and we've got all these, all these lenses available. And so the, the full frame lenses on there are a little better. Um, and then also for the low light, like I, I do shoot a lot of dark events without, you know, the, the Halloween party and I need to shoot it with a high ISO and, uh, and it does better than the, the micro four thirds. That's, that's about the only, the only thing I like better about it yeah. is when I'm shooting in the dark. And, now, and, and another thing, the lights. okay. So another thing that Levi and I talked about before we started this episode um, is the other advantage with pan, with the Lumex full frame is Lumex is part of the L mount Alliance, correct? Right. Yeah. They found it. So they take all the L mount lenses. I mean, Leica 
Lumix and uh, and Sigma all make lenses for them, and they're all phenomenal. I use um, mostly Sigma lenses. I've got a couple of the Lumix lenses too, but uh, this the Sigma Art and and um, what's the C stand for? <laughs> I've got the, um, I've oh, got contemporary the Art, the sport and the contemporary. Yeah, yeah they make they're, the contemporary. They're all yeah. excellent lenses, and so I use all three of those series of lenses and um, get terrific results from it. Yeah. The, the, the thing I don't love about my full frame Lumix is for sports. It's not a great action camera. This, this model is not. Oh, really? Um, the, yeah. The micro four thirds are, are much better for that. Um, but I don't, I don't really shoot sports for sports for action sake for i don't shoot sports action for the university ah, i shoot okay. <laughs> uh, i shoot the crowd yeah now <laughs> um come to school here now what what exactly is the reason for the the micro four thirds being better for sports than the full frame lumix cameras um i think they've they've just done uh i, I don't know it's it's got a better um it just it just focuses faster better than oh, wow. the, the full frame version does. That's interesting. I, think, I didn't know that. Yeah, and I think the the new GH6 is going to be even better. Um, they don't have the phase detection that's that like Canon and Sony have in their full frame, and, and now Nikon also have the the better full frame, uh, the better autofocus in their full frames. So oh yeah, with the face and eye detection and all that stuff. No, they've got the face. In fact, I think they had face. Oh, you're just talking about phase versus contrast. Yeah. Okay, right. that's great. Exactly. Actually, it's good that we touch on it. Now, does Lumex use phase detect, or are they using contrast? They don't. They've got contrast, and then they've got this thing called depth from defocus, um, which is distance related but not phase ah so, okay yeah. see that's the one thing that bums me out about my gfx 50r absolutely love the camera the one thing i hate about it is that it only has contrast autofocus which right. sucks right. <laughs> especially when you've been shooting, shooting with phase cameras for so long yeah. going back to contrast detect just bites <laughs> right. it's yeah. slow it's inaccurate and right. the bugger is for and i think they did it for money reasons uh, Fuji only put phase detect autofocus in their two more expensive medium formats, the GFX 100 mm -hmm. and the 100S. Now the 100 oh, yeah. was a $10,000 body, but the 100S, they made it more compact. They made it more DSLR size, even though it's medium form, a crop medium format. And yeah. they did put phase detect autofocus in that. And, yeah. uh, but that, and that body's only 6,000. So it came down quite a bit. You know, four thousand dollar drop, but it's still an expensive body just to it get is. phase detect. Right, I'd I'd love to use those uh, for everything I do. <laughs> yeah, really. Now, actually, I, I recently used the the Sony or the excuse me the Sigma FP camera. So Sigma makes camera bodies, and they have made amazing camera bodies for several years. You've never heard of them because <laughs> nobody uses them, and they're not um, they're not super user-friendly but the results are remarkable their their sensors and their the way that their cameras work make amazing pictures oh yeah now actually i did know the sigma made cameras and i do talk about it on my show when i do the news and rumor segments on sundays okay. um but i wasn't sure how good they were as far as you know usability i knew their their image creation capabilities were phenomenal 
because yeah. um, I've yeah. seen a lot of people that have that have reviewed them and given an honest review, like DP Review TV. I, I pretty much trust those guys. They're pretty yeah. honest about everything. And uh, yeah. and they were like, yeah, they they were like, yeah, they're clunky. They're kind of a pain in the butt as far as their menu and their button layouts. But man, they do right. make great images. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Oh, I was gonna say. So your students are going to use the uh, the 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 subpar action autofocus as an excuse not to get this. That's not an excuse not to get these cameras because you're not going to make a living shooting sports. Exactly. Exactly. Very yeah. few people make their living shooting sports. Yes. Yeah. But you're going to have more of a living spending less money on your tools. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And that was one of the main reasons why I really wanted to get somebody like you to come on and talk about micro four thirds, because I knew for students, it's a huge thing because of the cost difference, it the, is fact, so good. the fact yeah. that all of the lenses are super fast, super wide aperture. <laughs> yeah. You know, if, and, if you're making a living photographing the stars, you should probably get a full frame camera. Yeah, exactly. That's about it. That's, that's the, those, that's the only group of people I can think of that really needs a full frame camera all the time is people who make a living photographing the stars. I make great star pictures with my, with my G9 there, they, they would be better on a full frame sensor. Yeah, exactly. Just because but the software is where most of that action is. And so yeah. it, it is just not, uh, not an issue these days. Um, all cameras are good but you're, you're getting sucked into marketing hype and you're getting sucked into, um, which, you know, keeping up with the Joneses. Exactly. It's just going to cost you money. Yep. And, and I tell, I have much money. Yep, exactly. I tell students to hit me up all the time. You know, they, they're always going back to this mega megapixel crap. Yeah. And I'm like, it's all, I want, marketing I want 16. Hype. Why yeah. can't I have 16 megapixels back? <laughs> I just bought a, I just bought another D 700. Oh, wow. Which is a, a Nikon camera from, um, I got my first one in 2010 and it was already, it had already been out a while. So it was, it was at least, it might've been 2008. I think it was 2009. The D700 came out. It's 12 megapixels. Whenever I see my old photographs that I made of that camera, there's just something about them. And, and I think it's because they, they had so few, such an uncrowded sensor. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so I recently bought one for 200 bucks and, and I love it. It makes marvelous pictures. Well, for many years, for many years, when I got away from Canon APS-C, I went with two 5D classics, mm -hmm. 12 megapixel full frame yeah. camera. I was able to pick them up on Craigslist for like 300 bucks a piece. And yeah, I shot with absolutely. those for years and I loved the results. Absolutely. And, and I tell students all the time, unless you're shooting something that's going to be printed on a freaking billboard along an interstate, you don't need more than 12 megapixels. You Here's just don't. Thing. Billboards are printed at like 50 DPI. You don't need megapixels for a exactly. billboard. You need megapixels for a magazine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if you're shooting for Sports Illustrated, then you need a high megapixel camera. So, yeah. It's, it's, uh, don't get sucked in, get what you can afford and, and use it. Like, yeah, there's people like your classmates all have fancy cameras. I want to see their fancy pictures. Yeah, exactly. Put, put your picture with your, where your wallet is and, uh, and do something good. Get out there and make pictures instead of making, uh, 
excuses about about your camera <laughs> yeah exactly well and that's the other thing i touch on all the time in my show is don't worry about like you said a moment ago keeping up with the joneses who yeah. cares if sony just released an a7r4 or canon released the 5d you know c the eos r5c or whatever who cares get something that's in your price range master that camera don't buy another camera until the one you currently have is holding you back. If right. you get to the point where your 10-year-old model camera can't do something that you really need to do in your photography that's making you money, then you upgrade. Right. And yeah, and make sure it's make sure it's something you can't do that you need to do. Exactly. Not just a that gimmick. You can't that rent you want. a camera once a year for. Yeah, like you've got a, this job coming up and you need this one feature. Okay, rent it. Rent that camera. Exactly. It's, it's, it's a hundred bucks for a weekend to rent a camera from lens lensrentals.com. So exactly. Yeah. Don't, don't get upside down on things. Camera bodies are a terrible place to hold money. Exactly. <laughs> yep. I, and that's the other thing I touch on all the time. Spend as little as possible on the camera body, spend as much as you can afford on the lenses because you're going to get way more life out of the lenses than you will the body. That's for sure. That's for sure. Yep. Absolutely. Well, it's been great having you on here. I don't know how pressed you are for time today, um, but it's been great having you on here to talk about the Panasonic. Is there anything else that you want to touch on about why you went with Panasonic? Feel free. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, it, and it took me some time to change. I, I own my Nikon at the same time, and I finally just had to go on a trip. I, I went to out of Chicago conference, um, and I was teaching there, and I just forced myself to only bring the micro four thirds and, and make myself get used to it. And when I did, man, it was just so much easier to have with me. And the camera you have with you is the one that gets used, right? You, you the best camera to have is, is the one that's with you. And exactly. so like people buy a travel camera. What's that about? My, my best camera is my travel camera because it's, it's all travel sized. It's all, it's got all the features and the best lenses. I mean, all my lenses say Leica on the front of them because Lumix makes Leica's digital stuff. It's, it's just, it's really good. And, uh, I have, I have no complaints about my, my micro four thirds stuff for sure. And the, the only people, um, I mean, I'll, I'll, you know, all my, all my photographer friends, when I, when I was switching was like, what are you doing? You don't know what you're doing. Well, they didn't know what I was doing because they hadn't tried it. Yeah, so exactly. I've tried it for you. So go, go, go give it a shot. Don't go buy things, go rent things. Exactly. And see how it is. And you'll see that I'm right. Well, that's why I wanted to have you on the show to talk about micro four thirds, because like you said, so many other people out there, poo poo micro four thirds. They, they look down, yeah. uh, you know, down their nose at micro four thirds. I wanted to have somebody come on and talk about it. That's an honest person. That's going to give the students the straight dope on micro four thirds and that you can do everything with this system that you can do with any other system. Sure. It has certain limitations and low light performance. But again, like I said, at the top of the show, every camera system has strengths and weaknesses. Turn on the lights, man. <laughs> exactly and i, I do like the fact of the compactness the light and see that's the problem i'm having right now i'm actually having to move away from canon because i have permanent arm injuries 
I shot like Sharky James from the Petapixel Photography yep. Podcast. He was a photojournalist. I shot sports for many years with Canon flagship bodies. So you're talking yeah. 1D bodies that weigh, you know, three, four, five pounds because they have a built-in vertical grip. And then shooting with a 400 or 600 millimeter lens that weighs another eight or nine pounds. And you're lugging that around all day long for 20 plus years. Right. <laughs> My arms are like just taking a beating. My my 100 to 400, which is then a 200 to 800 equivalent, is smaller than a 70 to 200. Yeah, that's crazy. It's phenomenal. It's like an 800 millimeter lens that's the size of a can of Coke. <laughs> yeah, and it costs less than 1,500 bucks. So wow, that's nuts. Yeah, that's and awesome. I've been I've been looking at recently at switching to uh, Fujifilm X series. Uh, because I've always loved yeah. both Fuji and Canon. I think both companies have excellent color science. Um, one of the big things I love about Fuji's digital cameras is they recreated all their film stocks as film simulations. So I can still get those looks. But, yeah. man, you're tempting the crap out of me with micro four thirds because I'm getting rid of about $20,000 worth of Canon gear. Man, I could get a lot of micro four thirds gear for that money. Sure could. Holy cow. I could sure probably could. own every lens made for micro yeah. four thirds. I mean, you like their color science. Shoot a color checker. It's all the same. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But you did give me something to think about because of the fact that I do have so many problems with my arms. Um, the biggest it is significant. Yeah, the biggest concern I would have, and I could work around it by renting gear, is I'm in the middle of a project right now um, that's involving shooting motorsports. So I need something that can keep up with that kind of action. Um so I don't yeah, know I mean, if Micro Four Thirds could do it, that. The GH5 can absolutely do that. The G9 can absolutely do that. Oh, yeah. okay. So it wouldn't yeah, be a problem. I've shot motorcycles and race cars and horse races. And um, it's it, like, so like I say, the S1, the, the full frame one, mm -hmm. is not great for football. The, oh, the G9 okay. and the GH5 are much better. And uh, and for motorsports, I don't, I don't think you'll have any, any trouble That's so, at all. It's so funny that their Micro Four Thirds cameras are superior at shooting sports. That's crazy. It, it might be the lenses I'm using. You know, it, it it's the, the the smaller lenses. Maybe they they have less less throw to do to to focus on things. I don't know. Yeah, it could be, or maybe or maybe Lumex was just like, you know what? Let's just make the Four Thirds ones our yeah. sports bodies, and our full frame will do other stuff. Because some cam you know, camera companies frequently yeah. do stuff like yeah. that. Sure, a 7D, sure. Yep. I mean, Canon, Canon has only ever had usually like two bodies that can really shoot sports. One in the crop market, which was the 7D and the 7D Mark II, and then their 1DX line in the flagship right. stuff. And they're doing that. Well, they went a little bit different when they came out with mirrorless because they released the R5 and the R6 in 2020, and both of them can do 20 frames per second on an electronic shutter and they have massive buffers. So Canon actually got a little bit more generous when they went into mirrorless by making more bodies that can shoot sports than they ever had before. Yeah, well, and so for Micro Four Thirds, I mean, I've been shooting uh, 60 frames a second for six years. 60 frames a second for stills or is that for video? For stills. Holy yeah. cow, man, I yeah. didn't think anybody could do that many frames <laughs> per second. I thought 30 was the tops. Nope. Holy. nope. Now, how are the buffers on them? In other words, uh, how, how long can you I hold mean, the shutter yeah. down before you start slowing down? Uh, I don't know. It depends. You know, it depends on your file sizes and stuff. But um, but at sixty frames pretty, a second, I would think they yeah. probably got a pretty good sized buffer in them too. 
they do well and it writes fast. Yeah. It, it like it, it writes significantly faster than, than many other cameras. So you get the, you get the good cards and the, uh, the camera buffer isn't even the issue. So now there's another question I had for you. Cause I had heard this and I didn't know if it was true. Was Panasonic, weren't they one of the earliest adopters of like UHS two? Yeah. So I've got the, I've got the SD cards that have two lines of contacts on them. Yeah, exactly. You, you can't, you can't stop. Like you can't fill that buffer. My buffer doesn't. Yeah. So uh, you basically have no buffer issues at all. Yeah. That's crazy. Right. Cause that was the one thing that blew me away when I bought the one DX Mark two and I didn't own the Mark one. I went from a one D S which was their technically right. they were crop body yeah. DSLRs. A lot of people didn't right. realize that, but Canon's flag, yeah. yeah, Canon's uh, flagship DSLRs were actually a crop body camera until the one DX line. Then they actually went full, full frame. And yeah. I was DS as well. Yeah. I was blown away when I went to the one DX Mark two and it could not only do 16 frames a second, raw files, continuous shooting, the buffer, I swear to God, never got full. It was insane. I literally, in one of my YouTube videos, I held down the shutter button at 16 frames a second for like 45 or 50 seconds, and I never hit the buffer limit. I was like, this is insane. Yeah, it's awesome. Like, oh there, there's God. no big cameras these days. See, now you're really starting to make me rethink my plan. <laughs> With getting, so... With I mean, it's smaller and lighter than, than Fuji. Yeah, because, uh, well, it's I have... physically smaller. I have a disorder in my right arm uh, called CRPS, complex regional, complex regional pain syndrome, and it was caused by a traumatic fracture. I've broken my right wrist like 10 times in my life. Oh, wow. And the last time I broke it, I actually pulverized this little bone in the wrist that's called the scaphoid bone. It's like the size of a peanut. I totally obliterated it. Wow. And they wanted to put pins and screws in and all that. And I was like, no, let's just leave it and see if it'll semi-reform from the fragments. And it did. It took a long time. But wow. because the fracture was so bad, even though it was a, a small area of my wrist, I developed this nerve disorder. So basically, for those of you that don't know what CRPS it means is I broke the wrist, the bone healed, but the nerves in my arm 26 years later are still telling my brain constantly that the wrist is still broken. So that's the kind of pain I live with all day, every day. Like the wrist wow. is still broken and yeah. it's horrible. And as I've gotten older, I'm 51 now, it's getting a lot harder for my body to tolerate lugging around my heavy cannon gear. Now the GFX 50 R yes, is big. But when I take that out in the field, I'm usually doing documentary work with it. I'm shooting abandoned buildings, so it's always on a tripod, so it's not as big a concern. Um, but the stuff I shoot with my Canon, I'm on my feet all day long. I'm out at a racetrack for 12, 14 hours in the summertime. It's just way too heavy to lug around all that, all the Canon right. sports gear, you know, to shoot that stuff. So I've got to get with a, a, a smaller, lighter system. And I, I was going to go with Fujifilm X-Series just because I, I've always loved Fuji. I've switched between Fuji and Canon cameras most of my career. And I've used some of the others, but primarily those two. And I figured, well, I got the GFX. Why not go with the X-Series? It's a lot smaller than Canon. The lenses are a lot lighter and less expensive. Um, and their, their flagship body, which is the X-T4, can do everything that the R6 or the 1DX can do. 
Um, right so that's why I was looking at go. I'm looking at going that route. But now you've got me rethinking it and wondering if I should go with Panasonic. If I should hey, go with rent Lumix, and see if it fits your fits your needs. You know. Yeah, I might have to do that. I might have to actually rent a Lumix, like rent a G9 or something like that, and uh, yeah. a couple of lenses and give it a try. I've got the 23 millimeter I already own that I could try on it. Is is Showtime still open in Atlanta? Uh, well, I'm not in Atlanta anymore. I moved to North Carolina. Oh, okay. and oh that's right. That's I right. just found out this past week after doing a search on Craigslist that there is a camera shop. Um, it's Southeast Camera. They have a location in Cabarro, which is only about 35 miles from me, and then they have a second one in Raleigh. And I was yeah. shocked because I lived in Atlanta for almost 18 years. When I first moved there in 2005, six. There were camera stores everywhere. Most right. of them were Wolf right. Camera. But then Wolf, Wolf Camera yeah. went belly up and bam. Right. It's like overnight, there's no camera stores in Georgia yeah. except for one little mom and pop store. And I can't remember the name of it that I found way out in Savannah, which is like four hours away. And uh, lens, lens Rentals is just out of Tennessee. They'll have it to you in no time. Oh, yeah. I love Lens, lens Rentals. I use them all the time. I bought gear yeah. from them as well as renting from them. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, you've got me thinking I might have to try a Lumix before I actually pull the trigger on totally switching. Because, right you know, like I was telling you at the start of the, or it might have been before we started recording, I've got about $20,000 in canning gear. And yeah. uh, man, that would get, that would probably get me everything in micro four thirds and I'd still have money left over. Probably so. Now is the uh, now is the G nine is would that be considered a flagship body as far as its capabilities you know for shooting sports and all that good stuff? The the GH five the the GH six is coming out shortly and then uh, uh, Olympus is announcing a new EM one next week as well which would be um, potentially better autofocus than my G nine as well. Um, so, so GH five is their flagship flagship, but the, the G nine is more geared for photo a little bit. And yeah, it's, it's probably the one you want to rent right now. But like I said, the GH six is going to be out sometime soon. Who knows? Yeah. But, I know uh, they've been talking it, about it the, GH, some the GH six for a while, updates. but they hadn't released it yet. And I'm assuming it's right. because of the logistics and parts procurement issues and all that crap yeah, that's going all on. all that stuff. Um, but see, I was under the impression, I thought the GH series was strictly more of a video camera. It's not. I mean, it's got great video features. That That's the thing. Like people latch onto a thing and talk about it and talk about it and talk about it. But it's a, it's a, it's a mirrorless camera. It takes fine photographs. Like what do you need to do to take a photograph that a video centric uh, DSLR can't do, you know? Yeah. Well, see, and that's the shutter. That's why I'm glad uh, to have you on the show to talk about this yeah. because, um, with a lot of camera companies like Sony, for example, their a seven S line is their more video centric line. It'll still do stills, but it does video far superior to any of their other cameras. So right. I didn't know yeah. if maybe that was the situation with Lumix. Cause I always heard GH five, GH five, GH five for video. So I thought, okay, maybe yeah. that one's the high end video camera and it does stills, but it kind of sucks at stills. So I wasn't sure. It doesn't suck at all. There's a couple of features that, are photo specific that are not in the GH five. Like I don't think it does the um, ultra megapixel mode, the ultra high res mode, where it it shifts the sensor. Oh, the pixel shift, the sensor the shift technology. Shift yeah. Oh, okay. and, and then they've had that uh, almost as long as Olympus. So Olympus invented that, and and uh, Panasonic had it next, and 
Um, so it's a, it's a pretty cool tool, but, um, I'm not sure that the GH five does it. I expect the GH six probably will. The G nine does, um, just a couple of little software features is, is, are the only real differences. So now with the, uh, with the sensor shift in the G nine, how many megapixels do you get if you use the sensor shift? Does it bump it from like 24 to like 96 or something? Yeah, or it's, like, it's like 90 or 96, something like that. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. It's big. Yeah. Cause yeah. I know Fuji's but, offering it now in their, in their GFX 100 line. Yeah. And you know, and if you use it on one of those cameras, you're talking yeah. a 400 plus megapixel image. I was like, right. Oh and my then, God. and then I've done it as panoramas. Yeah. Now that it would probably come in handy for with panoramas, so, but you, I mean, it, it just makes it, yeah, it just makes a bigger panorama. Yeah. It's probably you, less handy because if you're building a panorama, you're making the megapixels to make it bigger anyway. So, well, that's true. That's true. <laughs> and then you're going to make a file that's stupid big. Cause I, the one thing I keep thinking um, with Fuji having it in their GFX bodies is I'm like, okay, the camera's already got a 102 megapixel sensor which means the raw files are probably yeah. almost a gig in size. <laughs> and then yeah. you use sensor shift and now you're talking about two terabytes for one raw file. Yep. Yep. Like, Man, that would be crazy. Buying a new computer time. That's, that's the other thing is that um, when you, when you buy a new uh, camera with more megapixels, you're going to be buying a new computer. Exactly. You need a more powerful system to, <laughs> to process those yeah. images. Yeah. Yep. And that was the big thing. Definitely and I kept warning people because I have 30 years in both photography and IT. Mm -hmm. And I kept warning everybody that I talked to that I was friends with when the 4K kick started. Every, shooting everything in 4K video. And I'm like, you people realize if you run out and buy 4K cameras, you're going to need way more external storage. You're going to need way bigger hard drives. You're going to need new computers that are more powerful to process all that video. And now, you know, you got Canon. They started the, the pardon my French, pissing contest in the R5 with, ooh, 8K video. Oh, right. my God. Are you kidding me? I had a, I had a DJI Phantom 3 professional drone, and they could shoot 4K or 1080p video, either one. And just once... When I first got it brand new, I said, all right, just for giggles, I'm going to shoot like a seven-minute 4K video clip. That, yeah. that file ended up being like 60 gigs, I think it was, or 70 for a seven-minute video clip. I was like, and now Canon's pushing 8K video? Oh, my God, you're talking a seven-minute video clip's going to be like a terabyte and a half. Yeah, and, and, crazy. and the big thing I don't understand, and, and people, again, this is more marketing hype than anything. The human eye can't perceive 8K video. We can't. The human yeah. eye, at best, can only see 4K. So all they're technically doing with this 8K video is they're just cramming more pixels in the same area. And, and <laughs> yeah, people don't like, realize that. Yeah. It's it like it croppable, too. It's but. like, you know, and, and yeah, and again. That's what a lot of people do with four. They shoot their YouTube videos in 4K and then they crop them to 1080p. I'm like, well, you just yeah. shoot it in 1080p to begin with. When when you compare cameras, exactly, you, you need numbers to compare them. If you compare pictures, it doesn't matter. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And uh, I don't know if you're familiar with them or not, but one of my good friends, I've never met him in real life, but we've been friends for years electronically is Ken Rockwell. Um, he's a professional photographer from, I believe he still lives in California. Right. Um, and he shot for many, many years. And that is one of the biggest things that he tells people all the time, get the megapixel crap out of your head. And he, and to prove it, 
he actually took, and I can't remember if he used Nikon or Canon cameras, which really doesn't matter, but he took a photograph of a subject. It was like a still life photo or a landscape. I can't remember what it was. He shot the same scene on the same tripod using the same lens with both the 12 megapixel model camera and like a, a 40 some megapixel or a 36 megapixel camera from the same manufacturer printed both images the exact same size and stood out on a busy street corner and asked people to tell him which one was shot with 20 or 12 and which one with 36. Nobody had any clue. They couldn't tell the difference. The, the largest photograph I've ever printed was four feet by six feet. And, and, and this, is, this is printed as a photograph to be viewed on the wall in a gallery. And it was, um, it was shot with a 10 megapixel camera. Wow. So, <laughs> yep. So there matter. you have it. I mean, it's crazy. Now I have, yeah. run, and I don't know if this is true or not. I don't know if you can speak to this or not, but I know a couple of professional, like world famous professional landscape photographers that swear, oh, if you're shooting landscapes, especially fine art landscapes, and that's how they make their living. And these guys are making like six figures a year. God only knows how, because I didn't think anybody bought landscapes anymore. <laughs> um, and they all, they all swear that you need, for landscape photography, you need more megapixels, more megapixels. And the, the reason why they say that is because when you print them so a certain size, you know, four feet wide, six feet wide or whatever, if you're using a lower resolution sensor, you can see the pixelation in the print it, more. It doesn't matter. You go to Peter Lick's gallery. Uh -huh. We go to Peter Lick's gallery in Las Vegas whenever we're down there for convention. Yeah, I've seen I've seen his gallery he's, when I was in Vegas. He's the only he's the only almost famous photographer in the world right now. <laughs> right there, there are no famous photographers. Nobody nobody knows who we are. Well, that's that's probably <laughs> true. And, and and he's the closest thing. So you go to his place and you're looking at these amazing photographs and you put your nose up against it and there's noise. Yeah, I mean I've always <laughs> expected it. I've always expected yeah. it. It doesn't matter. That's what I'd never understood why people's obsession matter. with that. It's like, yeah. and what's, what's Peter Link? Number. He probably shoots with like a six megapixel camera. <laughs> <laughs> He's probably like, you guys are all idiots. I'm shooting six maybe megapixels. So, maybe so. Yeah. No, if, if it was, if I was making a living shooting, shooting landscapes, I'd be shooting Sigma cameras for sure. Oh yeah, probably. With Cause their, I hear they are good for landscape sensors. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. Yep. Yeah. Um, well, when I say famous photographers, yeah, it's kind of a funny thing because most photographers that I consider famous aren't known by everybody. Like, like to right. me, you're fairly famous as a portrait photographer. I mean, you're all over the place. You do articles <laughs> on different websites. You work yeah. with Skip Cohen, Photo Focus, a whole bunch of different places. Uh, but yeah, to be honest, I mean, I guess probably the only real world famous photographers that everybody knew, even non-photographers, are probably dead. like Ansel Adams. Only um, Ansel Adams. Henry Cartier-Bresson. Only photographers know Henry Cartier-Bresson. Well, no, I, I actually know a lot of people that don't know squat about photography that know who Ansel Adams <laughs> is. Um, yes, Ansel Adams, yeah. but not, not... But he's probably, to be honest, he's probably the only world-famous photographer one. to ever live. <laughs> right. Now with the with the master classes that you see all the advertisements for. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Andy Leibowitz's class. Yep. Okay, yeah, so, Andy, so Andy Leibowitz's class. And, yeah, sure. Um, now, when you, to circle back for just a minute here, when you were talking about renting something, if you need it for a specific project, that makes a lot of sense because, and I was going to touch on this at the time, 
Chase Jarvis. I love his photography. I don't know if you're familiar with him or not. Sure. Um, he shot a lot for REI sports and stuff like And he's completely self-taught. He never went to school for anything. And he is just great at building his own rigs for his cameras. Like, he wanted, he needs to do a specific kind of, uh, like, a rock climber. He'll actually build his entire own boom arm, his cage for the camera. He does everything himself. And he that's what... Now, I'm trying to remember what he shoots with primarily. I want to say he's a Nikon guy, but I could be wrong. He used um, to be a Nikon guy. I don't know what he shoots now. Yeah, I think he still is, if I remember right. But same thing you were talking about when you touched on that. When he has a big money shoot where he's got to have a Hasselblad medium yeah. format, he just rents one for the weekend and right. then sends it back. You know, he adds that into his cost. You know, he bills the client for the cost yep. of the rental. And that's it. And the rest of the time, he's just happy with his 35 millimeter, you know, DSLRs or mirrorless or whatever. And uh, so I tell students that all the time. If you're in a situation down the road where you've got a paid shoot and the system that you use every day, you know, is your portrait system or your bread and butter system, can't do what you need to do for a, for a client, just rent the system you need, whether it's uh, medium format or you know, a different uh, 35 millimeter full frame or or if you, you know, you got to shoot sports and, you know, there's an APS-C system like maybe the X-T4 that's going to be great for that or the Lumix that's going to be great for that. And you don't own one, just rent one. Because like Levi said, you can rent one for, well, and the thing is you go to Lens Rentals and you can, they, they let you rent it for seven days. So if you pay a yeah, hundred bucks, awesome. if you pay a hundred bucks to rent a camera and body for seven days and your shoot takes two days, you got five extra days to play around with it right. just for giggles. Yeah. So always rent. I, I tell my students all the time that reach out to me, don't buy rent first, always rent first. Yep. And that is a hard thing to do because there aren't many companies that do camera rentals anymore. And I think it's just, but because, it's so easy when it drops to your door. Yeah, you don't even have to go exactly. To the store. I, I think the biggest problem is, is, um, it's too easy for the companies to lose money. Now, I know Lens Rentals has been around for a long time. Borrow Lenses has been around for a long time. And I don't, know if, you, go. I don't know if you've ever heard of these folks or not, but back in 2012, there was a new company called Lumoid. And they rented camera bodies, camera lenses, drones, tripods, all that stuff, just like Lens Rentals. And I loved them. I, got, I rented a lot of gear from them. I bought discounted gear from them. And they're gone now. And I got to be really close with some of the higher, you know, the high level people in the company and, you know, talk to them via chat and emails. And I guess the biggest thing was, is, um, you know, they'd rent something out to somebody and they just never return it. You know, you go to, you go to nail them on their credit card and the credit card they gave you turned out it was just a debit card. So you can't get your five grand that way. So then you got to go through the courts, you know, and they're based in California and you're going after somebody in New York. That's a pain in the butt and they're just gone now. Um, I don't know if maybe they didn't do things right when they started their business up, you know, because Lens Rentals has been doing it a long time, so I'm sure. Lens Rentals is cranking along. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure they have specific types of insurance for potential losses like that, you know, that they doesn't kill them. Um, but the fact that they've also been around for a long time, so. Well, that just doesn't happen anymore. We're all very honest photographers now. <laughs> Most photographers are honest. Not every person is. <laughs> Um, but like now I have a great relationship because, um, I, uh, a couple of years ago, I got in touch with one of the high ups at Fujifilm North America, Daniel Carpenter. And, um, 
he got me being I'm a YouTuber and podcaster. He got me signed up as a media person and I can email him and say, Hey, I want to try out the new GFX lens that you guys just released. Can I borrow one to do a YouTube video review on? And you know, he'll send me one free of charge. He ships it to me FedEx. I get it in a day or two. I use it for two weeks. I box it up and send it back with the label they sent with it. And that's it. But I don't know. I guess I'm just a super honest person. Maybe it was the way I was raised. I'm not about to steal, you know, a $4,000 lens from Fuji. <laughs> right. I'd rather have the relationship and be able to keep borrowing stuff from them. That's the way I look at it. You know, why, uh, why cheat them out of a $4,000 lens where if I keep returning them, you know, like I'm supposed to, they'll keep sending me new ones. That's Absolutely. The, that's the way I look at it. Well, Levi, it's been fantastic talking to you. I appreciate it so much you coming on and talking about the Lumex system, the advantages of shooting with Lumex, Micro Four Thirds especially, um, because like I said, a lot, a lot of my audience are students and they have limited budgets. They're you know young kids, they're in their teens or early 20s. You know, and you know as well as I do, if you're going to college, you don't have a lot of money <laughs> unless you got rich yep. parents. You know, if you're like me, when you put yourself through college, you're living on ramen noodles and macaroni and cheese. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. <laughs> because you have a limited budget. So uh, absolutely. Uh, with the fact that the, the micro four thirds equipment is so inexpensive, that is definitely a smarter way for a student to go. And I'm so appreciative with you sharing this information because that Micro Four Thirds, well, they didn't know it was Micro Four Thirds, but Panasonic and Olympus were the two big ones that a lot of students have been hounding me about. Hey, can you get somebody on to talk about these cameras? And right. so that's why I was so great. I uh, so grateful when I messaged you earlier today and said, hey, what are you shooting? Because I couldn't remember if you had told me before. I said, hey, what are you shooting with? And you were like, Lumix. I'm like, oh, my God, you got to come on the show. <laughs> well, I'm glad I could help. It's Absolutely. I appreciate it. Me. Thank you again for your time. You have no idea how much my audience will appreciate this. Okay. You've been, been wonderful as always. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, Levi. We will talk to you again soon. All right. See ya. Yep. Bye. All right, everybody, that is going to wrap up this episode of the Liam Photography Podcast. I want to thank all of my listeners once again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere else you might be getting your podcast. Also, remind you to stop by and check out the Liam Photography YouTube channel, subscribe to the channel, watch the videos, comment on them, share them out, hit the little bell icon so you can be notified as new content drops. Check out the show notes for this episode. I'm going to give you a lot of details on the Lumex system uh, with what I know and more importantly, what I was able to get from Levi today because I consider him an expert. He's been shooting with their systems for many years and he knows them inside and out. So definitely check out the show notes and also the show notes is where you're going to find all of the ways that you can Follow Levi and his work and get in touch with Levi about photography if you want to. All the places where he writes helpful and informative articles on various platforms, like I mentioned, Skip Cohen University, Photo Focus, and uh, you can check out his awesome photography on his Instagram as well as his photography page. So find all of that in the show notes. <music> 
remember to check out the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group. It is a private group and you must answer a security question to join, which is the name of the host of the show, myself, Liam. And I've also opened it up to allow you to give the name of a previous guest on the show to show that you are a listener. Once you are in the group, you are free to post your own original work. I'm also the admin of the Fujifilm GFX 50R group, which is the largest group for the 50R on Facebook. If you own or plan to own the 50R, you can request to join that group, but you do have to answer two security questions to join that group. You can find my work at liamphotography.net and follow me on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at liamphotoatl. If you like abandoned buildings and history, you can find my projects at forgottenpiecesofgeorgia.com and forgottenpiecesofpennsylvania.com. All right, that's a wrap, everybody. I will see you all again on Sunday for the latest news and rumors.